Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Michael McKee, along with uh, David Gura, in for Tom King today. Our economic indicators are brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. lot of numbers out right now. Here's what we have so far. The employment cost index, this is a first quarter number of six-tenths of a percent. That's a tenth higher than the revised number for the fourth quarter of the year. Personal income for March, the final month of the first quarter, up four-tenths of a percent. That's double the initially reported amount in the first quarter, uh, which was revised down to one-tenth, and it is more than the economist's forecast of three-tenths. Personal spending up just a tenth, though. That matches the uh, the um, unrevised number from the month of February, which has now been revised to two-tenths. So you got a decline in the rate of increase in spending, a decline in the rate, of, uh, uh, an increase in the rate of increase in personal income. The inflation numbers now, uh, the PCE deflator, these are the numbers that the Fed watches, is up a tenth of a percent, which pushes the PCE annual rate of inflation to eight-tenths of a percent. That is down from the prior month. And uh, we have the PCE core up a tenth, and the uh, core rate 1.6%, uh, which is unchanged. So uh, a lot of numbers out this morning, and now we're getting the Chevron numbers. First quarter loss per share of 39 cents, much worse than the uh, 18 cents that had been forecast by analysts. So Chevron does not do what Exxon did, which has come in better than expectations. Uh, Chevron reports a first quarter loss of $725 million. I want to bring in Paul Mortimer Lee now. He is Global Head of Market Economics at BMP Paribas. Have him react to some of the numbers Mike was just going through. And, and Paul, let's start with those inflation numbers first and uh, what you make of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure the inflation numbers have a whole lot of news in them. Um, you know, PCE core pretty subdued of, of a tenth, uh, maybe a bit, bit softer than uh, people were hoping. And, you know, the Fed wants to see something up close to two tenths. So um, and the thing that really st- struck me was the personal expenditure of only a tenth. Because, you know, the, the economy's been running on the household sector uh, for quite some time because investment's soft, exports are soft. And now the consumer's soft, and that's pretty bad news for the Fed, I think. That's the, the standout uh, feature of these set of numbers. Well, when you're talking about a March number, obviously we're looking in the rearview mirror, and oil prices have gone up significantly f- since then. So how much uh, weight do you put on the inflation numbers for March? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I look at the core numbers. Uh, I think that's important um, for the Fed for half of its mandate. Uh, the PCE headliner for eight-tenths, um, I mean, that is, that's also important, and that's going to go up further. And, and that's really, um, really important because, you know, wages are not picking up that much. And so um, we've, what we've got is we've got prices picking up and wages aren't. 
And that's going to reinforce the fact that real spending by the consumer is probably going to slow some. Uh, and and that's, that's the concern I have about the economy, uh, that we're seeing uh, the consumer slow off even before we've seen higher gas prices crimp personal income and leave less for, for the fun stuff to buy. Of course, we're going to hear a little bit later from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment numbers. Uh, talk a bit about uh, how oil prices are, are playing into all of this. Well, I think, you know, oil prices overall, I mean, I'm not quite sure whether the, the recent pop we've seen is sustainable or not, but certainly what we've got is a big boost in demand in China, and we're seeing the, the Chinese uh, monetary expansion feed through to energy prices overall. The weaker dollar is uh, also important in boosting commodity prices, inclu- including oil. And uh, as those oil prices come up, then we're going to see higher headline inflation. Um, I don't think the call will, will move, but headline inflation will move up. And that will take income out of consumers' pockets and leave less income to spend on things that move the economy forward, really. And, and that's, I think, you know, the market looks at oil prices and say, ah, oh, this is good news. And, and the reason for that is that a higher oil price is seen as kind of risk-on um, phenomenon. So if oil prices are going up, that must mean that global demand's better. That's true, but higher oil prices are good for producers, but they're not good for consumers. And the U.S. is predominantly a consumer of oil. And so it's, it's um, I think it's slightly concerning uh, that the consumer is already weak before oil prices move up that much, before gasoline prices at the pump move up. Well, we've been talking, though, for, for some time about how consumers didn't seem to be really spending their gasoline price dividend. Well, I, I'm not sure that that's true, because if you look at the savings ratio, so the proportion of income that consumers spend, it's been pretty flat. If consumers hadn't been spending it, then that savings ratio would have been going up. The fact is that the uh, rate of increase of real incomes of the consumer in the U.S. has been decelerating for some time, and that's why consumer spending has been decelerating. Now, I've got to say, it's decelerated a bit faster than most people would have expected. Um, But, you know, the Fed story that we saw in the statement um, that consumer income remains solid, it's not that true. Um, you know, I think they're over-exaggerating. I think it has been solid in the past, but it's decelerating now. And I think the Fed is probably yeah. worried. Um, All right. Paul Mortimer Lee is uh, our guest. He is the global head of market economics and chief economist for North America for BNP Paribas. Uh, U.S. personal income up uh, four-tenths, personal spending up a tenth, the PCE deflator up a tenth, and the core rate year-over-year 1.6% higher in March. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news headlines. Mike, David, thank you very much. The presidential campaigns have headed west. Police in Orange County, California, pushed demonstrators away when protesters got rowdy after a Donald Trump campaign appearance. Police cars were damaged, and one Trump supporter had his face bloodied in a scuffle as he tried to drive out of the arena. About 20 people were arrested. Yesterday, Ohio Governor John Kasich told a rally in Portland, Oregon, he's staying in the race after a talk with his wife. If I can be a voice that's different than what we hear in the political circles today, 
I will have had a victory because I have a victory every single day. Vice President Joe Biden asked foreign governments and drug companies to join a U.S. endeavor to share data and resources to speed the development of new cancer treatments. Biden is in Rome for a Vatican conference on regenerative medicine. Last year, Biden lost his son, Beau, to cancer. The vice president also met with Pope Francis today. Syrian state media say rebels have shelled a mosque in a government-held area of the northern city of Aleppo, killing at least 15 people and wounding 30 others. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, David? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here is John Stasha. Thanks, Mike. First round of the NFL draft in Chicago. Three quarterbacks were taken, and all three teams moved up in the draft to get their guy. Ohio State led the way with five players taken last night. Ole Miss had three. There were seven offensive linemen, seven defensive linemen. It all began with the Los Angeles Rams, who had swung the trade with Tennessee, as expected, taking Cal quarterback Jared Goff, another QB, Carson Wentz of North Dakota State followed. He's headed to Philadelphia. Joey Bosa was the first of the five. Buckeyes off the board, taken third overall by San Diego. And both the Giants and Jets also took defensive players from Ohio State. The Giants, cornerback Eli Apple with the 10th pick. The Jets, 10 picks later, linebacker Darren Lee. Miami at 13 took the first of three from Ole Miss. Tackle Laramie Tunsil, who was once projected to go first overall, his free fall last night due to a video that surfaced on his Twitter account showing him smoking marijuana while wearing a gas mask. Man, somebody hacked my account. I don't know who it is. I don't know how it happened. You know, I made a mistake. Man, that was years ago. And somehow they got my photos and hacked it on my account. His Ole Miss teammate Robert Kimdiche also had off-field issues, was taken late first round by Arizona. Denver in need of a quarterback with the retirement of Peyton Manning and the free agent departure of Brock Osweiler moved up and grab Memphis's Paxton Lynch. NBA playoffs, Atlanta advances, winning game six at Boston, 104-92. NHL, Washington, 4-3 in overtime over Pittsburgh. T.J. Oshie capped the hat trick with the game winner. D. Gordon of the Miami Marlins, who led the National League in hitting last season, suspended 80 games for using PEDs. Mets and Yankees were off. The Mets will go for a seventh straight win tonight. They host the Giants. The Yankees are in Boston. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. Thank you, John. We're continuing to follow a an up-and-down market. Uh, right now, Stock 600 in Europe is down by 5 points, 1.4%. And in the U.S., it's the same for S&P futures. They're off 6 points, we'll call it. Uh, but that's only a 3 tenths percent decline. Chevron earnings disappoint. Exxon earnings better than expected. We'll see what it means for the markets ahead. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Bentley University. What do rebooting America's oldest ski shop and crunching numbers at Vistaprint have in common? An MBA from Bentley University that prepares graduates to innovate and lead because business is everywhere. Prepare here. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And good morning. I'm John Tucker with this uh, Bloomberg Business Flash being brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Some breaking news across in the Bloomberg right now. Benovation uh, is rejecting Sanofi's unsolicited proposal. Also got uh, some earnings today from the uh, oiled majors. Chevron Corporation reporting a loss 
of $725 million. That works out to 39 cents per diluted share for the first quarter of 2016. Analysts were looking for an 18 cents loss, so that is much bigger than what they had anticipated. Also, uh, earlier, ExxonMobil posting its weakest quarterly profit more than in a decade. First quarter net income uh, falling to 43 cents a share, but the uh, per share result there was 15 cents above the 20 cent average estimate of analysts in a Bloomberg survey. And we had to economic uh, news a few minutes ago. Worker pay in the U.S. rose as forecast in the first quarter, the uh, six tenths of a percent advance in the employment cost index from the prior three months, followed a half a percent increase in the fourth quarter. It was actually smaller than previously estimated. Uh, years of employment gains have led to only gradual uh, pay increases, the bottom line there. Ahead uh, of the market open on Wall Street, S&P Futures. Down seven, uh, seven points. That's uh, down three tenths of a percent. The Dow futures down 55. That's down three tenths. Nasdaq futures down 20 points. That's down about a half a percent. Uh, Euro today 114.21. Seeing dollar weakness. Uh, yen 107.22. Uh, that's a little stronger right now. That's up about eight tenths of a percent. NYMEX crude up 36 at 46 dollars. Uh, 39 cents a barrel. You know, we check the markets for you every 15 minutes uh, during the trading day right here on Bloomberg Radio. And back to you, Michael and David. All right, thank you very much, John Tucker. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Paneru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Emmett Renson wants his fellow liberals to stop being so condescending. In an essay for Vox, he dissects what he calls the smug style in American liberalism, a style that attributes disagreement with liberalism to stupidity and ignorance and responds to that disagreement with mockery. It delights in evidence, however dubious, that liberals are intellectually superior to conservatives. Renson believes that this style has weakened liberalism by alienating poor and working-class white voters. He's right that it would be better to show these voters some respect. Even better, though, would be if liberals consider that their opponents might occasionally be right on some issues, even if they are rural working-class whites. Renson believes that liberals were wrong to ridicule Kim Davis, Kentucky's most famous county clerk. What's more important, though, is that she had a point. Her job shouldn't have required her to act contrary to her conscience. Conservatives have now changed the law to make this possible without harming anyone. The great virtue that contemporary liberalism lacks and needs is neither civility nor solidarity. It's humility. And sadly, even some of liberalism's most thoughtful internal critics can't see it. I'm Ramesh Panuru. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekday on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with David Gurra, sitting in today for Tom Keene. And, David, we're watching uh, the body politic uh, rot a little bit. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, a- another ugly scene out in California yesterday as Donald Trump holds a, holds a rally. A um, lot of uh, bad things said about uh, immigrants and then a lot of protesters outside. It got, People got a little violence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Brett Bayer is the host of Fox News Special Report. And of course, you can hear Fox News Sunday here on Bloomberg Radio every Sunday, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. You keep up with all the latest from the opinion thought leaders on uh, what's left of the body politic. And I, I sort of say that, uh, Brett, because it, it does seem for a while the campaign was was weird. Now it seems to be getting ugly. Yeah, good morning. Um, there have been a few events that have uh, definitely gone over um, overboard and they have, um, you know, the, the anger um, 
on both sides is actually is real. Some of those protests are manufactured by, obviously, uh, people who are opposed to uh, Donald Trump uh, to begin with, but some of it is uh, stirred up. And uh, it's a real problem out on um, out on the trail. I think we're going to see a bumpy road uh, to Cleveland, but I think Donald Trump is in a position to to sew it up to get to the majority 1237 uh, delegates needed before you get to July 18th. Uh, sticking with California here, as somebody who wrote for his college newspaper, uh, I was very excited to see this article in the Stanford Daily. Amused by the headline, which in classic college newspaper fashion did not... <laughs> Do more than literally tell you what had happened. John Boehner talks election time in office. But uh, John Boehner went to Stanford University, did a, a conversation uh, with a history professor there, uh, and made some, uh, shall we say, frank comments about Ted Cruz. Uh, what did you make of this, Brett, and, and the effect it's having here? Uh, the backdrop being here, of course, Ted Cruz naming Carly Fiorina to be his running mate. Yeah. Well, I think uh, John Boehner's filter is gone, and uh, he's uh, freewheeling outside of Washington. Uh, he was asked about the GOP race. He said Donald Trump was a golf and texting buddy, and uh, then said uh, Ted Cruz is uh, Lucifer in the flesh, and um, said he's a miserable SOB to work with. And uh, I think that for Ted Cruz on the campaign in this environment is not a bad thing to have establishment John Boehner talking about it like that. Uh, and Cruz is trying to turn it around and use it as he's the outsider who's who's pushing the establishment. Um, but on the in Washington, I, I think, you know, you have others like Peter King out this morning saying um, it makes Lucifer look good. And I, I think you have a lot of people whose uh, filter is gone in this election and yeah. um, that feel compelled to talk about it. Well, it suggests that um, Republicans uh, are, are making their peace with Trump as nominee in whatever kind of peace uh, they can. Uh, David Brooks, fascinating column today. Mm. He's, of course, a conservative writer, uh, columnist for the New York Times. He calls it a Joe McCarthy moment. People will be judged by where they stood at this time. Those who walked with Trump will be tainted forever. Uh, how does that it, it, it jibe with the sentiment you pick up in Washington? Uh, it is so amazing to see the split here. You know, you've had hashtag never Trump and then hashtag always Trump. And I think we've gotten to the hashtag eventually Trump uh, with a lot of establishment types. But David Brooks writes a very, I mean, it's definitely worth the read today. Um, I, I don't know how the Republican Party unifies after the convention uh, to effectively run a race um, with that kind of split. And uh, we'll see. I don't know if Hillary Clinton is the unifying factor uh, that changes the dynamic. Brett, I don't know if you were at that speech that Donald Trump gave at the Mayflower Hotel. A, I was a, not there. A, a speech there on foreign policy, uh, a format different than what we've seen him in uh, deliver before in a, in a setting different from what we've seen before. Uh, he's making an effort, it seems, to, to try to bridge that gap, to suggest that he is uh, – he could be more palatable to the establishment. What did you make of that speech? Well, I think you're right. It was an effort to uh, – 
kind of touch some Republican themes that they want to hear. I think more important uh, to Republicans here in Washington is to see the list of names he's potentially going to name for the Supreme Court, to see some other wise men potentially that there were women um, on his cabinet, uh, and if he can surround himself ahead of the convention with uh, big names and, and big decisions, uh, that may change the dynamic. Well, the, the speech certainly panned by uh, Europeans and by a lot of people in the foreign policy establishment in Washington. Yeah, the America First thing is definitely touches on the populist tone, um, but the way he talks about it is not traditionally uh, the way that uh, Republicans have run foreign policy. So, you know, I've heard some people say that uh, Donald Trump would potentially be on some issues in foreign policy to the left of Hillary Clinton. Well, we got to ask you before we uh, let you go here. This this is a uh, nerd prom weekend in Washington. Yeah. Uh, who, who's got your guest? Ready. Who's your guest for the White House Correspondents Association dinner? Uh, you know, we. I'm not even sure what table I'm sitting at, but they the Fox. Uh, they have a whole bunch of stars and uh, sports figures that are coming in, and um, it's it's always interesting. This weekend is nonstop, and it's Washington patting Washington on the back. So it, the big thing is to get to Sunday. <laughs> it's it's got to be weird, you know. You get some movie star or, or or Broadway actor or some sports star, and you're sitting at the table with them, and they look at you and go, "Wow, Brett Bayer." <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they say that. Last year I sat next to Sir Patrick Stewart. All right, uh, oh. from Star Trek fame. He's. Uh, I saw him in uh, in uh, uh, Macbeth here at the Brooklyn Academy, and it was terrific. Have a great weekend. Enjoy uh, enjoy the dinner. I can't stay up too late. He's got a show to do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and of course we will uh, watch him on Fox News special report, and we will listen to the Fox uh, on Fox News Sunday, ten and two o'clock here on Bloomberg Radio. Well, we're watching uh, the markets. We are now about a half hour away from the open, and uh, does look, David, like we're going to have a, a down open. Futures continue to deteriorate here. S&P futures off by eight. Dow futures down by 69 right now, and Nasdaq futures are off by 23. I'm going to leave the show uh, now and go off uh, on assignment. But uh, David will be here through the rest of Bloomberg Surveillance. Special offer on Friday, another hour of the program with David Gura here on Bloomberg Radio.